Well, it's nice to see you all. Ron and Dee are on the mainland, and uh, we're praying that they're having a really good time. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm here. Let me get down to business. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Two of Jesus' most famous metaphors come from the Sermon on the Mount, and you know them so well. You are the light of the world. A town or a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, you put those two together, and what you hear Jesus saying to us is this. You, my disciples, are obvious. You can't hide your faith. Now, you can betray it. You can uh, abuse it, but you can't hide it. You can be ridiculed. You can even be persecuted because of it, because you stand out. You're different, and it's dangerous to stand out. It can be flat out scary to be different, to be a city set on a hill, in the light, in the limelight, on display. Well, this, this weekend we honor some obvious lights who served our country, this hill we call America. They answered the call, they, they stepped into the breach, many of them sacrificed, gave themselves for others. So our nation sets aside the first Monday, the last Monday of uh, May, to remember the men and women who died while serving. Now, this goes clear back, our memory, uh, to those who fought England in the Revolutionary War to establish the nation. We remember those on both sides who fought in the Civil War, that terrible conflict that hasn't been fully resolved yet. Then there was World War I, the war that was supposed to make the world safe for democracy, the war to end all wars. Then World War II, when this time we came to the rescue of our old enemy, England. And, and then there is, well, you can go on and on because we're still at war, still remembering. In, in that, uh, that instance of World War II, Winston Churchill, the newly named Prime Minister of England did everything that he could in the early stages to get America into that war because he believed that if America would come along as an ally, Germany could be defeated. Without America, it couldn't be. As far as he was concerned, America was a city set on a hill, a light on a stand. That language comes clear to us from clear back in 16. 30. There was a ship that came over from England. The ship was the Arbella. On that ship was a preacher named John Winthrop, and he preached a sermon, a famous sermon on board that ship. He called it a model of Christian charity. The pilgrims were making their way to the new land where they could have religious freedom. They would eventually establish the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Now, he pointed out in his sermon that they were not founding just another state. 
establishing just another government, but something special. He called it a city set on a hill to be watched by the world. He wanted the Puritans in New England to set an example of charity and unity for the whole world to see. Well, the phrase caught on, and it's, it's still being used in political circles. John Kennedy was president-elect in January of 1961 when he addressed in his home state of Massachusetts the general court, and in his speech he said, we must always consider that we shall be as a city set on a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. Well, he was a Democrat. Later, a Republican used the same language. Ronald Reagan, in his farewell address to the nation in 1989, said, I've spoken of the shining city. And notice he, he, he didn't just say a city on a hill, but a shining city, putting the two metaphors together. I've spoken of the shining city all my political life, but I don't know if I ever quite communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, it was a hill, a tall, proud city built on rocks, stronger than oceans, windswept, God-blessed, and teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace. A city with free ports that hummed with commerce and creativity. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors and the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. That's how I saw it. And see it still. Well, that was President Reagan. And now here I am, speaking to a church crowd in Honolulu, where that vision is lived out daily. Even before coming here, I often thought and spoke of Hawaii. When I needed an example of how people of different ethnicity, skin color, cultural background, and even language can live together in a remarkable way. Honolulu is, if you please, a city set on a hill or out in the middle of the water, but it is a shining city, a light for the world. I'd like to have us think a little bit more carefully today of the light that lights this city. Let's read this again. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm having trouble getting this thing to... I'm, re I'm reflecting that light up there. Any mistakes that I've made is because I have a reflection here and uh, there's no other explanation. <laughs> All right. So, you, you can't do anything about that light, Jerry. I think I've got it now... You don't want, ah, ha, ha, can you see me? <laughs> I'm no longer in the light. <laughs> instead, instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought it out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Well, I told you last week that Joy and I have been traveling for a couple of years. And when we left home uh, two years ago, May, uh, we went out to the west coast of the mainland for a while. And then we spent the month of August in Mexico 
in a wonderful town called San Miguel, and then we went over to England to the Lake District, and we, we, we rented a little apartment in the town of Kendall. It was kind of spooky the first couple of days because we kept hearing voices and music, but there were no neighbors. There was nobody playing music. We looked all over the place. Now, our, our apartment was tiny, so we didn't have to look very hard. We isolated the sound. It was coming from the bedroom. Now, the bedroom was tiny, room for a bed, and that was about all, uh, headboard, footboard. Um, interesting, I'd never seen one quite like it. Fabric covered the headboard and the footboard. And when we were looking around, Joy, Joy spotted a sliver of light coming out of the footboard. And I checked it out, and she was right. There it was. So I looked under the bed, and there was some electrical cords down there and a little electrical relay box. I wondered what that was for, so I fumbled around with it and experimentally touched a switch. And out of the footboard emerged a TV set. <laughs> and it was on. <laughs> The, 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 the sounds that we were hearing, the music, the, the voices, all out of the footboard. Because you understand, somebody had lit a TV screen and put it under a bed. And it, it didn't give light to anything in the house. It was useless until it was raised. The Gospel of John says this of Jesus. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You can hide the light of a TV screen, but this light has been shining now for 2,000 years, and nobody has been able to extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, in case people might understand... Jesus said of himself in the midst of a very busy ministry, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he makes this astonishing assertion in the Sermon on the Mount, the one I've already alluded to, to his followers. You are the light of the world. Now, we all agree that Jesus is important. Son of God, Son of Man, Savior of Mankind, Lord and Redeemer, the light of the world. But then he adds to us, you too. You who don't consider yourselves to be very much, to be very important. You, you who think you're just average Joe Blow and the missus. You who don't call attention to yourself, don't, don't like to boast. You are the light of the world. It's pretty breathtaking, really. You enlightened, enlightening people, you shine brighter than others because you live for others. You are what gives the shining to the city on the hill. Now, the fact is, when you shine like light in a dark world, you will help others to see. Christians offer an alternative way of life to people who are stumbling in the dark. Now, we all know that that's what Jesus did, but it's also what his followers do. 
He calls his disciples the light of the world because, because we light the way for others, we help them to see. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. We are, we are, we are a city set on a hill, lighting up a room, a community, a state, a nation, a world. And now, surprisingly, the metaphor changes. He moves from the eye to the ear. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Consider how you listen and what you listen to and what it does to you. I want to say something about listening. As far as Jesus was concerned, it was extremely important. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, he tells the parable of the sower. The sower went out. It's it's interesting. I just thought about this, but very often people uh, can be critical of a minister, a preacher. And they'll maybe tear him to shreds because of his delivery or his content or whatever. We don't ever spend much time criticizing the listeners. That's a pretty good thing for us to do from time to time, to remind ourselves that listening is is not easy. And it, it was with that in mind that Jesus told the story of the parable of the sower. A sower went out to, to sow. He's planting for the year's crop, and he sows the seed generously. Some falls on hard ground. Some falls on temporarily receptive ground. Some, some of the seed, but not not a lot of the seed falls on good soil. It's all about listening. For when the word hits a a hard surface, hard soil, hard hearts, it can't penetrate. But when the seed, the word, hits a receptive heart, a receptive ear, it can penetrate and and growth takes place. I want to say a, a word about listening personally. Uh, when, when people uh, think about the job that the preacher has, they often think and will say that probably the hardest thing that the preacher does is preaching. Now, they don't usually say it that way. They usually say, well, he only works one day a week, you know, so <laughs> that's the hardest thing he does. Well, it isn't. And, and years ago, uh, Henry Emerson Fosdick, who was kind of a tutor to us preachers back when I was young, taught us that for good preaching, you need to spend an hour in the study for a minute in the pulpit. So a 20-minute sermon needs 20 hours of preparation, which means if you preach twice a week, which we did when I was, uh, when I was young and <clears throat> energetic, I'd put in my 40-hour a week just in two sermons. I never could convince the elders that that was really what was happening, but that was the theory. The point is, most of us think that for the preacher, the hardest thing he does is talk for a living. But that's not true. At least in my case, it's not true. The hardest thing for me is listening. I, I, I used to do quite a bit of counseling. I don't like counseling. I'm not a good counselor. Um, mainly, I would just kind of lean over to, to the people and say, why don't you use a little common sense? Now, um, <laughs> that technique kept my counseling load way down. It was very helpful. <laughs> 
But what a counselor does, and the reason that it was so hard for me, is a counselor mostly listens. All day long, if you have a number of appointments, you listen, and you listen energetically. I had one lady, she gave me one of the finest compliments I've ever received, and I, I've never forgotten her. She'd been coming to see me for a little while, and we were working through some things, and one day she, she stopped, and she said, you know, you are the best listener I know. She said, you lean forward, you cock your head, you look into my eyes, you pay very close attention. See, what the lady didn't know is that I'm deaf in one ear, <laughs> and I just wanted to hear her, that was all. But you can imagine if you're deaf in one ear and you listen all day, it's exhausting. Now, what I'm, what I'm wanting to say to us all is, listening you don't have to be deaf for this to be true. Listening is hard work. It's why most of us prefer talking to listening. We have some, some close friends, Joy and I do, who, who just wear us out when we visit them because they, they, they both talk. They both talk at the same time. They both talk over each other. They do not listen to each other. They far prefer talking to listening. And as a result, the communication in that family is terrible. So, Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen. Listen for the light. Listen to be enlightened. Listen and watch so that you'll know the difference between light and darkness, between truth and error, between insight and foolishness. Uh, let's turn over to Ephesians 5 where this is elucidated a little more clearly. The Paul, Paul here has, he spells out the sins that are characteristic of people who walk in darkness. And then, beginning with verse 7, he says, Therefore, don't be partners with them, that is, those who practice the sins of darkness. And this, this next sentence just about bowls me over. For you now are light in the Lord. Notice, he doesn't say you are now in the light. No, you now are the light. He's saying the same thing that Jesus says. You are the light of the world. You are the source of light. Not dependent on others. And then, he says, live. Oh, I, I should have said he, he contrasts that with that same sentence structure. Once you were darkness, not just once you were in darkness. No. Once you were darkness, you contributed to the darkness. You were dark, and now you are light. What a difference it makes who you follow in this world. So live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. You have been illuminated. So not only does Christ light up your life, but you light up the lives of others. While I'm in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then turns to us and says, and now you 
are the light of the world, showing the way, not blinded by prejudices or sinfulness or willfulness or selfishness, showing a different way to live. So verse 4, whoever has will be given more. That is, whoever has understanding, enlightenment, will be given even more. So you will grow increasingly knowledgeable and wise in your walk. Whoever does not have this, however, even what they think they, will, they have will be taken from them. When you live by the light, you'll see more and more and more and more clearly is how you will see. The rich get rich, the poor get poorer. We know that economically. But here, the enlightened get more enlightenment, shine more brightly. <clears throat> if you live in the dark, what light you might have has otherwise been taken away. In other words, we don't stay the same as we grow older. <clears throat> now we, we know that physically. Every now and then I meet somebody who says, you haven't changed a bit. I feel so sorry for them, they're blind. <laughs> I have a mirror, you know, I know. We change physically, we change intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. Let's hope the change is moving in the right direction. Now, how can I make this graphic? I think by telling you a story. <clears throat> Recently, I read a biography of, of um, Henry David Thoreau. I don't know whether they teach uh, his book, Walden, in uh, high school anymore. Wonderful book. So I wanted to read more about him. We went to Walden Pond last year. I wanted to read more about him, so I did, and, and in that story I learned, or in that book, I learned a, about his friend Margaret Fuller. Margaret Fuller was a well-known journalist in the early half of the 19th century, well-known in America. She was sent over to Italy by Horace Greeley's Tribune newspaper as a foreign correspondent to observe, I suppose we call her embedded these days, the revolution going on in Italy. While she was over there, she married an Italian, had a child. As the revolution collapsed, she fled with her family to England, where she turned in her manuscript so that the book could be published. Then she boarded a ship with her family and a nurse and a friend to sail for America. They left on May 17, 1850 aboard the ship Elizabeth. Everything went wrong. They got as far as Gibraltar, where they had to go into quarantine. Their captain had died of smallpox. Then when the ship was released, it was released under the, the leadership of the first mate, who was inexperienced. He did get them across the Atlantic, but he did not know as they approached America that a fierce, fierce hurricane was sweeping up the Atlantic coast. He got lost. One night, about 4 a.m., just before 4 a.m., they heard a thunderous crash against the ship. A, uh, an unexpectedly large wave crashed into the ship, crashed through, actually, um, crashed it up against a large rock, which broke a hole, a large hole, in the hold of the ship, water poured in there, water poured over the ship. They 
you have, you have this picture of the people in their night clothes standing up there panicking. But then the panic subsided because they were about 300 yards from the shore and they saw over on the shore when the light broke, the dawn broke, it looked like hundreds of people over there, just 300 yards away. And they, they rejoiced because they were, they were going to be saved. And then their rejoicing turned to horror because they saw that the crowds on the shore were ignoring them. Instead, their attention was fixated on the suitcases and the boxes and the debris that was coming ashore from that ship. They could hardly believe their eyes that that lives were dying on that ship. And all the people on the shore could think about was material stuff. And they watched them break into the suitcases, break into the boxes, and cart off stuff that they were stealing. Well, Horace Sumner, their friend, sank out of sight. Uh, Margaret Fuller and her husband and the baby kind of huddled together for a while. And then, and then her father, uh, the, the father of the baby and another jumped and disappeared. A steward came and took the baby from Margaret and they jumped and disappeared. Later the baby was found naked on the shore, put in a little box and buried. And finally, the waters took Margaret. What I want to say to you is, that's darkness. These innocent lives were dying, one by one and two and three at a time, while the people on the shore were stealing their stuff because stuff mattered more than people. When our stuff, when our things matter more to us than people, we're not just in the darkness. We are the darkness. So on the shore they busied themselves while out on the ship people were perishing. We used to sing an old, old hymn, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying, Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty, to save. Why? Why tell them? Why rescue them? Because you are a city set on a hill. You you are the light of the world. 